And welcome back to a fresh episode of the Business Growth Show. I'm your host, Sam Dunning, co-owner over at webchoiceuk.com. And if you haven't done so yet, check out our weekly email where I share actionable B2B marketing and website tips, useful podcasts, goodies, resources, and more to kick off your week with a bang. Why not give it a try over at businessgrowth.email. Joining me today, I've got Kevin Casey. Kevin is a shareholder and a growing 70 million insurance brokerage, 70 million dollars and growing. And he's author of the book coming out in 2023, Unselling. Kevin, a warm welcome to the show, sir. How are we? How's everything across the pond in the UK? Yeah, as, as we were discussing just now, um, apart from falling apart all, all around us, I try to avoid the news, so I, I generally stay pretty upbeat. So, yeah, Good. not too we're, bad, man. How are you? We're a perfect match. It's all falling apart over here, too. So let's keep it together. Yeah, man. Well, we're going to tell people, hopefully, how to pick up the pieces in uh, a recession right in front of us. So we're going to be talking all about why you should, be, why you should stop being at the mercy of your buyer and why a sales process is crucial as a small business owner, as a rep. And even if you're a marketer, having your team follow a, a repeatable process that can consistently kind of weed out bad fit prospects and attract and close the right kind of deals for your business. So with that said, what the heck, Kevin, does being at the mercy of your buyer, what does that actually mean? Well, I think if you just think about how you behave when you're a buyer, so let's take our marketing and sales hats off. And when you walk into a mall, you need a pair of shoes because the wedding starts in two hours. You're clearly there to buy a pair of shoes. And in the corner of your eye, you see this salivating human being coming towards you fast and you know you're there to buy sam what do you say to that person can Good i help question. you what do they say what do you say initially that is the standard response i mean if i was i can say for example because i used to work in retail so when i worked in a little camera shop called jessup's back when i was 18 19 that's exactly what you go up and say to someone like hi how are you how can i help something like that right so here's the thing, it's, it's not that the buyer's doing anything wrong. It's just we've been conditioned since we were kids. And my father, who passed away in 2019, and I miss him and I love him, he told white lies all the time. So as kids, when we were home and the phone rang and it was a telemarketer from my mother, I would hear my father say, she's not home right now, call back. And he'd walk back to the table and we'd say, but mom's here. Oh, it's just a salesperson. So we have seen this from our grandmothers, our parents. We've been told, don't talk to strangers. So there is some life scripting that said, don't tell your teacher a lie. Don't tell a person of authority a lie. But it's okay to lie to a salesperson. Because as David Sandler said, you can still get into heaven even if you lie it's okay it's so true right like yeah. it is so, so true so i took this sam is 
I am not a professional seller. I was an entrepreneur that began, created a business in 2001 in a basement, an ad agency. And I love marketing, but selling was scary. So we flipped the coin. There was only two of us in the basement. <laughs> we flipped the coin and guess who got sales? Not tails, sales, <laughs> me. So I had to learn the hard way. And I wondered why I was getting ghosted, used, abused so much. It's just human nature. We don't like to hurt people's feelings. We want to be polite for the most part. And you're kind of afraid of salespeople. So you kind of, these aren't big lies, but you withhold information. So once I realized, instead of directing my anger at the prospects, I said, if I know that's the way it is, why don't I just try to get to the truth faster by actually starting with no instead of trying to get to yes. And when I did that, life changed. And it took me a long while and a lot of mistakes, a ton of mistakes. But I know what it's like to be a small business owner. And none of them are formally trained in sales. They're picking up lunch. They're firing people. They're trying to make payroll. And by the way, you've also got to sell. And uh, there's 38 million small businesses in the U.S. Over your way, there's five and a half million. And by the way, 90% of them are less than nine employees. Do you think they got a sales department with a CRM and a full sales leader? They got nobody. It's on them. So that's who I really want to connect with because that was me. That was exactly me in 2001. Yeah, it's it's so true, right? And why do you think it is? This might be a tough one, but why do you think people just, for example, on the phone, like it's, it's the classic, right? If you hear a sales rep, immediately think, oh, they're going to try and pitch me. Like if it's during the day, you want to get back to work. If it's during the evening, you want to get to your wife and kids or whatever you want to do, play video games, whatever the heck it is. Why is it entuned in our brain that we can just say these white lies to a sales rep and it's absolutely fine? Like we don't really care. Like it's only a salesperson. I'm going to hang up or tell them to do one. Well, first of all, if the industry doesn't act like professionals, why would you expect to be treated like a professional? Mm. So if you call Sam Dunning and I act like I know you, it's like, hey, Sam, it's Kevin. How you doing today? I mean, you know, right then and there, I'm a sales guy. But if you're just do some things that are a little bit different than the 99% of people do. So it's like, hey, Sam, it's Kevin. We actually have never met before. And I know I'm calling you totally out of the blue. But I help people kind of like this and this. Could I just get 30 seconds? Or do you want to just totally hang up on me now and I'll totally understand? Now, if you follow that every time, which is classic Benjamin Dennehy, everyone watches it, they're all going to follow it. All I try to do is act like I'm human. So if someone, if I call someone and they say, oh, I hate insurance people. Now, I don't know what happened in their life five minutes before I called. They could have poured coffee over their crotch. They could have had a massive fight with their kids or their spouse. So I don't try to fight it. All I try to do is diffuse it. So if someone says, I hate insurance people, I would probably say, 
Oh, I get it. Imagine hanging around them for 10 hours a day. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, that's yeah. what happens. And the classic thing is if you see someone struggle and be a bit real, you'll help them. What you don't want to do is have the person that sounds like they're a CrossFit instructor that has just chugged four Red Bull interrupting you at 10 o'clock in the morning. <laughs> do you think that that's like one of the worst things that sales execs, sales reps can be over enthusiastic? 100% because I did it. I mean, when I first started selling, I was taught be passionate about what you sell be passionate about your product, make sure you add value, which is this throwaway word that's out there now. Uh, yeah, you shouldn't be enthusiastic because the point is, I have no idea if I'm calling Sam Dunning, if he even is emotionally charged up about the problem that I fix. So I never talk about the product. I always talk about the problem and I always give the people the way out first. So maybe because I've been rejected so much as this kid with glasses and short, I always want to get rejected first. So I give people the out very, very early mm. that it may not even be right for you. And um, people don't expect it. So no, you shouldn't be enthusiastic. It's a massive source of sales resistance. It creates this barrier. And, you know, a doctor or a world-class chef does not need to act like that. They look like they're doing a diagnosis. And for me, I've had to calm myself down because I can naturally be a very animated person, but I really got to calm myself down not to act enthusiastic. I want to act almost indifferent and maybe even a little bit detached and bored <laughs> because mm. again 99 percent of people don't sound like that yeah yeah i suppose the only time that like you mentioned there the time that being enthusiastic is enthusiastic is actually going to work is if the person on the other end of the zoom call phone call face to face whatever is in that exact same frame of mind which the chances are unless they're a good friend or a client of many years that know yeah. you well and you can have a laugh and a joke and a beer with probably not going to be right right i mean here's the funny thing about it all i've had people say this to me my whole life it's like well kevin you're the natural extrovert you love people uh the point is and this is proven by the way by someone much smarter than me uh, adam smith uh, from the wharton business school did this study there's introverts and there's extroverts in the middle which is about 63 percent of the population are called ambiverts, which they're not hiding in the corner, but they're not backslapping everyone that passes them by. And when they did a study of 4,000 tech salespeople, the best performing salespeople were ambiverts. So anyone that's out there saying, I'm not an extrovert, congratulations. That excuse to stop selling is over because ambiverts listen better they're more curious, they're more thoughtful, and they're not nearly as attached to outcomes. So celebrate ambiverts if you're out there. You're the best salespeople out there naturally. So we've talked a little bit about what salespeople naturally do wrong. 
and I think like you said it's it's ingrained in people and I know when I was uh, in my younger days that perhaps the managers or team that I work with kind of just said you need to sound more enthusiastic you need to be upbeat because that's going to sell over the phone and and like you said I've pretty much learned the hard way very similar to you Kevin um and we're going to get into how you can utilize a, a sales process that's going to be effective and repeatable for your business shortly but when we say being at the mercy we've talked about kind of what sales reps naturally do wrong in initially but when we say literally being at the mercy be letting your prospects your buyers be in control what does that really mean yeah, well, it means, first of all, that unlike a, um, you know, if, Sam, you need to go to the doctor, hope you don't, but you need to go on the operating table, who's going to control the process? You or the doctor? I'd hope it was the doctor. You would hope. <laughs> but with sales, for some reason, and again, this comes back to the point, if we want to be treated as professionals, we got to act like professionals. If you don't have a process, what happens is this, the prospect picks it. And because you are so under pressure of making the sale, you've got these happy ears the size of Dumbo, and you only hear what you want to hear. So what happens is you ask a couple of really soft qualification questions because you want to keep rapport and you want to be friendly and you want to be buddies. And people spend way too much time in rapport, by the way. Uh, even you and I today, we were on this three or four minutes before, but like, let's get to it. But it doesn't mean we're not friendly, but rapport is a bit overrated. And then you've got to let people know what's coming. Because the part that salespeople who aren't confident and don't have a process lose is that if prospects don't know what's around the corner, they're just going to go into chaos mode and they're going to ask a whole bunch of questions. But if you explain how it works, People want to be guided in life and they want to also know very early on that it's okay to say no. And you literally have to say the words, Sam, I'm not a fit for everybody. Are you comfortable if it's just not feeling right of being straight up with me and saying, Kevin, this isn't really connecting. I want to let you know that's okay. And by the way, I have the same right to do it to you because we're both busy and we both got better things to do than stay on a call for 40 minutes. That's going nowhere. So the process is instead of seeking the sale, all I'm doing is sifting. So the original prospector was sifting gold. All we're doing is sifting. And if you're sifting, you're not attached to anything that's fallen out of the bottom. So the best way to do it, is to actually bring up all the objections first. So I know what all the objections are in my space. And I don't wait for the clients or the prospects to bring it up. I bring it up first. And without doing that, salespeople next to Google are the second biggest source of free information. Yeah. They can't wait to talk. It's a great analogy, right? Because like you said, if you go to a doctor's and you've, you've got something wrong with you, you're not going to just guess or tell them what it is. You might, they might start by saying, look, what's up? Um, what have you come in today? And then from there, they're constantly asking questions. They're leading the process. They're probing. They're, they're trying to get to the root of the issue. 
Whereas if you went in there and started guiding them, they'd probably tell you to get out or they say, look, don't waste my time. Yeah. I'm here. You've only got a 10 minute slot. You can either have me help you or get the heck out of my office. Right. So I'm up front and saying, you know, for me to be able to do it, I've got to ask you some questions and a lot of questions and some of them may be even uncomfortable. You don't need to ask them, but I don't even know if I'm the right fit for you yet. Uh, otherwise, we're just order takers. And I think one of the things I realized when I ent entered the insurance space is I wasn't sure if we had salespeople or we had order takers. And order takers just take orders. I mean, it's no different than pulling up to a McDonald's. I mean, people just give the order and there's no art in that. There's no conversation. There's no diagnosis. If you want a happy meal, here's your happy meal. I don't try to talk you into something else, but part of this is for me is to stop thinking about it as selling, which used to panic me when I first started in sales mm. and actually think about it as a conversation and your tonality, just the pressure just drops as soon as you start saying, I'm having a conversation with somebody. Even asking for referrals, when I hear my team talking about referrals, why don't you lower the pressure and one word change, Sam, instead of asking for a referral, ask for an introduction. One word, the pressure went way down. A referral sounds like there's a lot of liability and pressure there. But if I ask for an intro, man, that sounds easy. Again, somehow this switch goes off when I've seen really good, curious people that are in my car and we show up at a sales meeting and they go from normal human being to Grant Cardone and they <laughs> get all hyped up. 10X, baby. Uh, they're, yeah, their tonality is different and um, they just stop listening. And uh, it's not because they're bad people. They're just, they don't have a process. And they don't mm. know that it's human behavior to tell these little white lies. So acknowledge that's not going to change and you're not going to beat that human condition in the world. So keep reminding them several times that it's okay. And the more positive someone is with me, the more I actually push them away because this is why we all want inbound leads because we think inbound leads are the best thing on earth. But I just assume the inbound lead for me is also an inbound lead for my five competitors because it's too easy. Mm. So you've got to qualify them even harder than you would to me, a stranger. So this might be useful because there'll be a lot of marketers uh, tuning in that might run sales teams or might work close with us, closely with their sales teams. And likewise, there'll be small business owners too. So what, in your opinion, Kevin, defines an order taker versus a sales professional? Yeah. So an order taker, there is no diagnosis. You can fill out a slip. It's transactional right? There's no probing. Um, there's no uh, kind of getting to pain and the impact of that pain. And there are people that are already on a part of the buying journey, by the way, as you know, um, they're already at the buying phase. There's no selling required. If I, I would love to find out how out of a hundred people I can reach them when they're already ready to buy. Cause then it is about the rational things like testimonials <coughs> and ratings but most of the people that I sell to don't even know they have a problem. So 
by me showing these are the clients that I deal with and this is my reviews, they're not buying. They just need to know how can you change the way I'm getting things done today? And to me, the first thing about an order taker is it only works if they're ready to buy. The real challenge is how do you get those people that don't even know they have a problem and how do you do it in a way that doesn't make them feel like they're a nail and you're a hammer? So how can you do it without making them feel like they're being convinced and get them to convince you? And when you get used to that, and that's why I call it on-selling, you're never really selling because it never feels like it. Mm. Mm. So... Hey, look, I'm a marketer and I talk about generating inbound leads all the time, right? With your website, yeah. with SEO, paid search, you name it. But you're right, a lot of inbound leads, there's there's different type, right? Different types of inbound leads. So I guess some of the strongest are the prospects that have been following you, be that they've consumed your content on different channels, whether that's podcast, YouTube, LinkedIn, wherever wherever they hang out and they've consumed your content for some time. Because if they've done that, they can have a very strong bind to right. you what you're offering you might have educated them over the time and then when they by the time they come inbound and they request a consult whatever they might be ready to buy like a few days later because they they trust you so much but on the flip side of that coin you can have a lot colder prospects whereby perhaps they've just searched what you do on google perhaps they've seen an ad and that's the first time encountering your site and then the chances are, like you say, they're probably inquiring with maybe two or three or more agencies, companies, providers, whatever the heck you sell. That's when it becomes a bit different. It becomes a bit more competitive. Nice. Um, nice. And like you say, it, that's when what you've talked about, actually filtering out the tire kickers and kind of wor working out how much time you should spend on this opportunity, whether they're even in decision-making uh, capabilities or whether they're simply fire firing off three, four, five <laughs> quotes for management to think about for the next six months yeah i mean think about it sam all the times you played sports as a kid growing up we were all taught that we wanted to win the whole school system is you got to get the answer right and don't question everything to actually rewire your brain and be okay with no here's when i'm not okay with no's and i did this from 2001 to 2006 I found out the no's at day 244. When you find out a no on day one or hour one, it's not a no. You've just saved yourself a whole lot of time. And I don't know, the last time I checked, there's like 7 billion people in the world. I can't possibly reach all them. So I have learned that I know people can't be truthful to me. So I find the truth by making them comfortable. I use humor a lot because I find humor for me does two things. It settles me down inside, but it also settles the whole situation down. And I think when people do that, they suddenly see you as a human, not a salesperson. Because I actually think at times they don't see you as a human. They see you as a salesperson sometimes. Mm. So... I just try to help them get to know faster. And um, I know it sounds counterintuitive, but I'm okay with losing faster at this point in my life because the one thing I can't get back is time. And no matter how much money I've got, I can't get back time. And I wasted a lot of time 
knowing that something wasn't right with that prospect, but I felt so much pressure to have a, a CRM that looked full mm. and it wasn't full of leads. It was full of lies. And you know, that's happening. Every follow-up email, a little piece of you dies inside when you say I'm circling back. It's the worst feeling in the world. And, um, you know, I would rather be chased than chasing. I've chased way too much in my life. I'm done with it. Um, and again, the person that really needs the help are these small business owners who are juggling 10 balls. And I don't want them to become a great seller. I just want them to become a good seller and very high awareness of the way it is. Chili Piper is an advanced scheduling solution for B2B revenue teams. Rather than listen to me ramble on, here's a super happy customer describing how Chili Piper has revolutionized the way they work. Chili Piper as a tool has just become part of our fabric. It's our meeting booking system for our prospects. And you'll be pleased to hear it just does it. It's like the ideal piece of software which you don't have to babysit. It just does what it needs to do. My SDR team like using it as well. The main bulk of their role is outbound prospecting, which they use Chili Piper to book book those meetings. Ultimately, they are booking meetings for the account executive. Their handoff is working you know, really well. You just heard there how Chili Piper can free up resources and turbocharge your productivity. Book your free demo today over at chilipiper.com slash BGS. That's C-H-I-L-I-P-I per.com slash bgs chilipiper.com slash bgs are you tired of the competition stealing your potential clients and website traffic just because they rank higher than you on google for the main services or products you offer or maybe you're already investing in seo or marketing but your website's failing to convert your hard-earned visitors into a steady flow of qualified sales leads or perhaps You already work with a web or SEO agency, but they're just not getting you the results they promised. Let's fix that. Get in touch with us over at webchoiceuk.com. That's webchoiceuk.com. Mention the podcast and set up a call with Sam to see if we can help you with the results today. So, is the problem that they don't have a repeatable sales process? Yeah. Is it, or is it that they aren't actually generating enough opportunities, i.e. they're not, if they've got a marketing team, the marketing team aren't generating enough inbound leads for the sales rep, or is it that the sales rep should be doing their own outbound, i.e. on the phones or on email, whatever works for them to generate prospects generate opportunities so they're not putting so much pressure on their their prospects themselves to consistently be closing they've actually got a healthy pipeline of leads whether that's come inbound or outbound that they are then relaxed so they don't need to put the 10x put the pressure on um on themselves on prospects so they like you said can apply the sifting process rather than going for yes well, it's hard to do that when you see every post saying, you know, you need to make up this this quarter. I mean, it's easy to say. Uh, luckily for me, I don't really 
care as much what the 200 person operation is doing. I'm going to go back to the small business person who doesn't have a marketing department. Um, they probably should understand that the website they do need, they can have it and it can generate leads, but prospecting sucks. I mean, if anyone says it doesn't, uh, they're lying. It's not a whole lot of fun. I don't care how much they say it is, but the downside, if you don't prospect and you have a skinny pipeline, it is the root cause of all evil in sales, which is neediness. Because if you've got a skinny pipeline, you are going to act needy and you're going to feel like every deal you've got to win. So first of all, let's not bluff and say prospecting is fun. There's all kinds of prospecting. I will say that 70% of all my prospecting these days are referrals because to me, they're not clients. They're human lead magnets that have created this flywheel, but it's taken me 20 years to get that momentum. You've got to find what works for you. And when I hear people say it's only cold calling or it's only cold email, it's not one or the other. You've got to find a cadence that works for you, but understand this. If you don't time block, if you do not time block and treat it as if you were going to an appointment to a doctor, you will never do it because there's always something else that's better than prospecting. Always, even for me today. And if I didn't time block, I would do anything. I would, it's just, it's the worst thing. So I mm. find what I can do is I don't rely on one platform. I multi-thread, but I also, um, don't have the pressure of a 200 person operation. I'm thinking, what does this person do? That's a small business person. That's the easiest path to getting prospects. And I would start there with them and give them a very specific way to do it. But before they can do it, they got to create the head trash that's in their head by saying, I'm not in sales. Well, you are. Uh, I'm not an extrovert. We just told you that ambiverts are the best. And if you're not going to do it, who will? I mean, without selling, nothing really happens. The nation's going to grind to a halt if every salesperson went on holidays for 30 days. I mean, mm. other people can go away, but it's, it's a bit of a mindset, but it is a behavior. And you can read as many books as you want. And I don't endorse one process over another, by the way. I don't think I have cracked the holy grail by any account, but have a process. That's my point. So if it's spin selling, Sandler, um, pick a process, but just pick something. Because I'm telling you, if you don't, you get what you deserve. And when people say, you know, this person ghosted me, or they use me, or they got a proposal from me, you allowed that. And the uncomfortable truth is, you let people treat you that way. And it took me a long while in my 40s to get there. But I got to the point where I was just not going to let people treat me like shit anymore. And I was going to do it that I wasn't going to be rude. But I was going to control the process. And if someone didn't want to play by that rules, they can get off the operating table and find a different doctor. And I was okay with that. And I had done that. And it doesn't mean, again, that I'm rude. I actually find a very nice way to do it. But if people don't want to answer the questions, then I can't help them. Mm. It's a tough pill to swallow, right? Like if I, look, if I look back 
to when I was doing all those things that you said about, like I had a skinny pipeline. I was emailing the leads in the pipeline every few days saying, just getting back. What's the latest here? Like, where, how are we doing? They weren't answering my calls. Um, all the, all the telltale signs that this prospect doesn't give a shit about you. And has probably not even bothered or kind of gone to the solution in house or gone to another provider. Um, they're not, they're not going to use you or maybe they'll come back in a year's time, but that's just chance. So it just shows that having a, a fat pipeline full of qualified ops sure. just is, and, is the, one of the biggest kind of uh, things that you can fix at the start. And, and the ironic thing is, and again, I wish I knew this in my thirties. As soon as you tell somebody, listen, it sounds like you probably have solved this. Congratulations. I'm going to put this on ice and you can reach out to me if you ever want to connect again. Honest to God, 80% of the time I get an answer back. But if you sound needy and desperate, you're no different than that mall clerk or the mall kiosk clerk or the someone at the airport selling the points where you fake a phone call as you walk by because we've all done it. You just don't want to do it. But when people actually say, listen, you're totally busy. I'm really glad you solved this. Um, I'll see you around, but I'm going to put this on ice. You know where to find me. 80% of the time they get back to me because they realize that you don't need this sale. And I mm. never, ever act like I need the sale, even in those days that I needed it. And I can tell you, when I started my company, we needed every dollar of it. But if you act like it, they'll know it. They can smell the commission breath. It is so easy and you can't help it. It's not easy though, is it? What Everything you're saying, like it's... It's like we said, it's a tough build to swallow. It's very, very difficult to then put into play. But when you do, it's gonna it's gonna do you wonders long term. So aside from making sure that you've actually got that capability to to fill up your pipeline, whether you're prospecting yourself, whether your marketing team's helping you with that, whatever's going on, to to actually put these things into play. Because the first time I've ever re- read books like Sandler and right. talk to people like Benjamin Dennehy, yourselves and others. It almost sounds foreign, but once it clicks, it clicks big time. And it's like, why was I doing it this way for so long? Now, how do you recommend, let's say we're now taking action, we're, we're actually you're prospecting, we're finding a way to fill our pipeline so we're not as desperate to close each and every lead that we generate or that comes our way. Mm-hmm. When it comes to then putting this into some kind of process, and I know you referred to a few books or sales processes too, yep. um, but are there like some basics? that you recommend that people can take away here, Kevin, when it comes to actually kind of implementing that? Yes. And none of them require me or anyone else. It requires two things. You need to understand if you wait to have the belief that you can do it before you start the behavior of actually using it, it will never happen. You actually got to go the other way. You've got to actually start trying some of this stuff and that will create the belief. So it's Mm. behaviors first. The single most powerful way, and I've seen this take grown men and women and make them turn white and let them leave the room is when I talk about role-playing. And role-playing is the single scariest thing for salespeople, especially ones with egos who don't have a sales process and they know it. Scarier than cold cooling. Oh, 
yes. think sales reps did that anymore. Well, no one's around when they cold call, right? So <laughs> they don't know and they hope they don't get listened to. But when you ask someone to role play, it is the single fastest way that I have learned. And it's uncomfortable. It's demoralizing at times. But you cannot binge watch a course or read a book and hope to do this. So you're either going to do it two ways. You're going to try it in real life in front of a real prospect when the stakes are high, or you're going to find somebody you trust, someone that's maybe two steps ahead of you and will be straight up with you and start practicing with each other and break it into chunks. Instead of trying to do the whole thing, let's just do the beginning of a phone call. Let's just do a proper discovery. Like even that breaking into chunks, I think role-playing was for me the biggest thing. I still do it today. I still have people that I work with to help me with my game because there's no finish line. And um, if people want to do this, they need to find someone as ambitious as them and actually say, why don't we start working with each other and let's beat this around in a safe community. Otherwise, you're going to practice in front of leads and you're going to freeze and you're going to chop out the uncomfortable bits and you're going to dilute it down and you're going to say it didn't work, Kevin, but I know you've diluted it down. So role playing is a simple thing. I think if I ever was to tell someone, you know, this is how I would go from zero to 60 in a, as a salesperson, I would say, let's pick one process and let's role play it till you're comfortable, till it becomes your muscle memory. It's just, it happens like oxygen. And for me, when someone hits me with anything rude now or unexpected, I don't really have to think about it. I don't have a script, but I have a whole bunch of talk tracks in my head that I just kind of pull out. But I took hundreds and hundreds of hours of role-playing to get like that. It wasn't from a book. The books are good, but you're not going to put it into action nearly as fast. Mm. Yeah. I mean, that's something I've neglected, actually. So it's something I'd be keen to do because I think it helped myself a lot and I'm sure it could help a lot of people tuning in. Now, when it comes to role playing, so in the B2B world, for example, when you're selling software, selling services, typically once you've identified a prospect, whether that's from outbound or inbound, like you mentioned, one of the first steps is then setting up a discovery call or some yeah. kind of free 20 minute consult, whatever it might be. Um, now, this is probably the stage where you want to qualify this prospect in or out to see whether they're going to have a demo with your presentation or whatever that next part of the puzzle is in your process. Yeah. Um, but what are some ways that you can role play? Because I can imagine each scenario like might be a bit different in terms of kind of the state that the prospect's in, how much of a problem they've got, um, what frustrations they have, whether they're actually the decision maker or um, perhaps they're an exec that then needs to report to the decision maker and these kind of things. So yeah. are there any ideas on how we can, I guess, make sure we cover these scenarios? Well, I can't think of a worse label. Whoever put the label discovery, <laughs> like literally should be kicked out of the sales world and never allowed back in. I mean, who wants to be discovered? I mean, it sounds like you're about to go through a root canal. And again, if you're a salesperson that isn't comfortable 
imagine now saying, okay, Sam, now let's go to discovery. <laughs> I mean, so, sounds like you're about to take off in a, a rocket and like go, go and spark on a new planet. It's horrible again. And you wonder why it feels like an interrogation of close ended questions that ripped out. Uh, to me, I don't even break out the discovery from the call. I just have a conversation. Part of the conversation is again, leading with the problem. And this is the other thing, especially with business owners, because they love their product so much. I mean, these people have left being a cog in the wheel, taking a chance because they love their product or service. And you're telling them, I don't want you to leave with your product. And they're saying, how dare you say I can't leave with my product? And this is the hardest thing to do is get them to say, I want you to leave with the problem that you fix in a different way than someone's getting it done now. And when they start moving from product to problem, this thing called discovery gets way easier because guess how you start off a discovery is just to say, listen, one of the things we do, Sam, when I speak to people who run uh, companies like yours is they say they hear this, this, and this. Am I kind of totally off base there? Or is any of those even sticking a little bit true for you? Then you may bring it up, but I'm not sure if that's a big enough problem to deal with right now. So now you've got to find out, is it a sooner problem or is it a later problem? My point is, if it's a later problem, guess what? The people in my marketing department and nurturing have a really important role. Because right now, if my barbecue is half not working and I can still use the other half, I don't know if I want to buy a new Weber. But the day that goes out, I need it now. And that person that's been giving me some tips on recipes and barbecue uh, grills, I'm going to remember them. So um, really, you just want to find out, are they emotionally charged up about the problem? How big is it compared to where they are now? And then they got to realize the real competition isn't your competition that you're running up against. And we've talked about this, Sam, that real competition is doing nothing. So I picture the prospect sometimes as a sloth that doesn't want to change because even changing insurance brokers is a lot of work. I got to fill out all these application forms. I got to tell you my revenues. I got to tell you how many cars I got and their license plates. And you're going to save me 5%. Like I'll just stick to what I got. So part of the discovery is actually to challenge people saying, why don't you just kind of stick with the way it is now? Because it sounds like it's going pretty good and let them defend their position. So instead of me convincing them that I'm better than the status quo, I would even get them to say, why are you even doing this? Like, because one of the things when people make big changes in companies, whether it's the websites, man, you, you can piss off a lot of people in the company by making big changes because it can make the learning curves change. It can, it can affect a whole bunch of departments. If you don't deal with that stuff explicitly, what's going to happen is when it gets to the decision maker at the end, yep. we're just going to say, this isn't worth it. Oh, it's the and classic, then, isn't it? Like you'll, yeah. you'll, you'll get, you'll get happy ears because someone's agreed yeah. to take a call with you. 
and they'll say something like, oh, this all sounds good, send me a quote, send me a proposal. You send the proposal, you followed up for weeks, months, six months yeah. later, they've got back, oh, sorry, the uh, marketing manager didn't actually want it, or sorry, the uh, director would, couldn't approve it yeah. in the end because it's too much hassle. And like you said, if you bring these objections up on that first call, yeah, you're going to find out super fast what the real status is. Yeah, and and proposals, the last time I checked, they take tens, hundreds of hours, hundreds of dollars. And you don't even know why you're doing the proposal. But, you know, I think as Benjamin Denny, he calls it, they don't call it proposals. He calls it documenting your stupidity, <laughs> which it is because you haven't actually even figured out if there's enough pain. And by the way, pain isn't enough. This is where we stop because I think about people I know that are in miserable relationships. That's a problem. They're in a miserable relationship. They hardly talk to each other. They're roommates, but they don't deal with it. So it may be a pain, but is it a pain they're willing to deal with knowing all the consequences that come along with it? And if you don't get down to that level without making it feel like an interrogation, and the way to make it not feel like an interrogation is to make it feel like they're defending their turf and you're keep pushing them away saying, why don't you just do it yourself? And people then, the resistance comes down and they actually convince themselves, but I don't do it to be manipulative. I just do it to save time because I just don't want to waste time anymore. I just can't do it. it, it nothing crushes your dignity more than chasing. I mean, it is the one thing that I said when I figured this out. If I can help the 31-year-old version of Kevin Casey, who just doesn't know better because they've watched The Wolf of Wall Street or all these kind of always be calling, I just want to always be disqualifying. And I want to do it in a way that gets Sam to say, you know what? What a nice guy. He actually talked me out of doing something but here's what's happening. Now I want to work with them even more. <laughs> and I play the long game. Uh, some of the best wins I've had are people that our marketing department have nurtured for two or three years. So, um, you know, it's not about guessing which one of those two out of a hundred are in part of that buyer journey. You better have a process to deal with the people who are not ready yet. And instead of making them feel bad or pushing them, just say, do you mind if I stay connected? Because I know you said this was important. I send some of my clients stuff like this once a month. Do you mind if I put you on that list? And if it sucks, just unsubscribe. I won't, I won't get mad at all. And then you're in touch with them. Because in my business, a lot of people show up like Santa Claus once a year. So if I can stay in touch three or four times a year, they're going to come with me at some point. And I'm willing to wait and as I've gotten older, I've gotten more patience. And maybe that's why my tonality has calmed <laughs> down. This yeah. would have been a very different interview 20 years ago. I'm still waiting for that patience to come. Um, that's, that's a pro marketing tip about nurturing prospects. I've, I've had similar, Huge. like just um, obviously it's different depending on the sector you're in, but just connecting with them on LinkedIn. So they see your content or like you said, asking if they're against signing up to your email list or, maybe mention if you run a podcast or something like that, just so they've got some yeah. way that you can be that top of mind, giving them useful tips, educational right. resources, whatever. So when they do need your help or when there's someone they know, like you say, they'll, they'll intro you or they'll get direct in touch. Really right. powerful. Exactly. Cool, man. Um, 
at the start of that little piece, you you mentioned leading with problems. So at the start of these calls, you want to lead with the, the two, three kind of juicy problems that your prospects tend to come to you with. Because a lot of us are attached to our product, we want to talk about how great our product, our solution yeah. is. We can 5x your income. We can 10x your revenue. We can save you time. We can do all these cool things that are feature-led. How do we discover what the real problems are that we can fix and how do we leverage those? Well, how do you do it? Yeah, so first of all, um, you got to be humble enough to say you probably don't know the answer to that. And the only ones that do know the answer to that are those people that have actually bought your products or services before and are willing to be really honest with you. And you can understand questions like, just before you became a customer, what was the one thing that maybe almost stop that from happening? Or what was the one thing that tipped the scale in our favor? Mm. So I am very big, and I think any business person can do this. You're not going to be able to figure out the problems. Uh, you've got to go to the market and ask it. The other thing is you better be aware of any environmental triggers that are happening. And I'll give you one happening during COVID for insurance is that and I'm sure it's like this in the UK, all of a sudden billing materials, paint, screws, hammers, wood went up by 40%. And as soon as that happened to me, it created a problem. And the problem is people now have their buildings insured. And if that burnt down and they had to replace it, the cost as insured with was based on what the wood was three months ago. So I knew there was a trigger environmental thing that happened that created a problem. And when I bring that to a business owner, that lowers the resistance because I tell them I trigger their FOMO, which is no business owner wants any other business owner to have an advantage. And if I can bring something to them that says, I'm not even sure if this is the case for you, but as you know, billing materials have gone up 30%. How are you making sure that if something bad happens and no one thinks a bad thing will happen to them, what will happen to your business if it costs a million dollars to replace, but it's only insured for 700? And if I was able to give you something to show you how to do that without me hanging over your shoulder, do you want me to send that over? You can probably get a gut check on how that looks. What do you think they're going to say? They're going to go, yeah, send it over because it's not coming with me breathing over their neck. I didn't ask for a coffee chat. I didn't ask for a meeting. I just said, I had this thing that might see if you've got this invisible risk for that bad thing you think will never happen to you until it does. And they're going to say, sure. And then if they still don't care, I'll move on. Mm. But it's yeah. my job to kind of let them know there's something happening that is an invisible risk that they don't even see. Uh, but I never lead with the product. I very rarely talk about insurance. I would talk about to the CEO, if I was talking about cyber, their IT person most times are the worst people to speak to because they tell the CEO who hasn't been on a computer in two years, I got firewalls up. We're good. We're safe. But if I say to the CEO, let's just assume that this kid that's in a basement gets hold of 3,000 of your customers' credit cards and sensitive information. Is your IT person in front of the microphone or is that you? And I just let it sit and they go, 
shit, it'll be me. And listen, I'm not saying it is, but we do this cyber pressure test and we can run it and get a sense of where you are. Do you want us to do that? And if you don't, there's no problem. I've done it for X, Y, and Z. And they know right now their competitors have had it. It's just, it's this Aikido thing of just back and forth. But if I don't go in there with something to get someone emotional, even insurance, I am telling you, people, when I came to insurance said, you're never going to get people emotional about insurance. If I don't get people emotional, there is no change ever because then it's all about price. That's logical. So problems create emotion, products create logic. And if you don't leave with problems and you don't find problems they don't even know exists, you're going to be exhausted. You are going to be exhausted because I lived it. Yeah. 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 And just to wrap things up. So in terms of the problems, that makes sense to understand kind of what are the key issues, the key frustrations that your target prospects, potential clients are facing and those and leverage those on, on the calls that you're having. In terms of getting people emotional, how do we check? Like what are some telltale signs that a prospect is emotional and they actually care about something enough to potentially be a customer? Are there any or? Yeah, is it- well, they're not going to high five you because that's too obvious. Remember, they can't <laughs> trust you. So if they're, you will hear things like, huh? What do you mean? I don't get it. Skepticism initially is actually a very good response where someone actually literally saying, what? Say that again. Who are you with? These are all good responses. You know you've struck a chord when you get someone slightly intrigued and confused. And I always say, if we thought like the last 15 seconds of Netflix, that moment that we say, should I watch another episode or go to bed? That last 15 seconds creates that emotional hook that brains crave closure and they got to watch another episode. If you don't lead with emotional and disrupt their thinking and get them emotional of something they've never been emotional about before, it's going to be the hardest job you've ever done because you're going to go back to pushing products. And that is a miserable existence because then you're an order taker. That's a great way to wrap it up, Kevin. We'll have to get you back on the show very soon to carry this carry this little convo onwards because I think there's uh, there's another piece to be played here and a part two potentially. So with that, sir, I want to thank you for coming on. I want to thank it's you for... It's been a pleasure, man. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for the invite and uh, keep safe over there. You guys got a prime minister yet? What's happening? <laughs> is the, is so, the country so running itself? Yeah, give them, give them 20 days. We'll be back out and then uh, we might have someone else in. But yeah. <laughs> anyway man to tell us um tell us more about the book tell us more about how one can connect with you and the best way anyone tuning in video audio to get in touch yeah well listen i'm on linkedin a whole bunch so you can find me there kevin casey um i am pounding away in the book i you know i run a business full-time uh i write in the morning so hopefully in 2023 this book uh which is all about people who need to sell when selling isn't their thing. And the small business people are the people that I want to stand behind because that's what I've been my whole life. And uh, if the book uh, helps those people, uh, what I call the accidental sellers, they're the folks I want to be. And I think a lot of those are your 
uh, customers too. So um, I appreciate the chance to get on. I enjoyed the riff and let's do it again. Yeah, man, we'll set up. So we'll put all of those links to your LinkedIn and the book when it's out over in the show notes at businessgrowth.marketing. Cheers once again, Kevin. Great, great chat. And we'll, uh, we'll chat again soon. Have a good Monday. Cheers, man. And as always, if you enjoyed today's episode, a quick rating or review on your podcast channel of choice goes a long way or subscribe on YouTube is much appreciated. And with that, we'll catch you on the next one for more no BS, actionable tips to grow your business and grow revenue. Cheers for tuning in.